The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to In Discussion. Bill Capaldi has become one of the most recognizable storytellers in recent times on the cultures of Disney and Pixar. He joins us today to discuss his life and work in enlightening audiences and business leaders alike with the energy of both the aforementioned paradigms and their inspiring formulas for success. My guest today has become well known as one of the most recognizable storytellers and keynote speakers in his time. His work in media and management transforms leaders and industry using the enormously successful formulas developed by Disney and Pixar. He enlightens audiences on these cultures in his recent book, Innovate the Pixar Way, and achieves this by charting the extraordinary power of Pixar's imaginative and innovative approach to changing the lives of those creating the vision as well as for those whose minds are transformed by the amazing technology and vision of Pixar's world. Bill, welcome to you. Thank you, David. It's nice of you to join us today, and uh, I have been so uh, involved with and interested in, in your work. And as ever with my programs, Bill, I hope you'll, you'll uh, stay with me. But I'd like to, <laughs> like to go back uh, very briefly to, to, your, to your roots, to where you came from. If you could just take me through childhood and, uh, and uh, where you began to recognize the Disney world and, and uh, the, uh, the animation that, that you see today. How that how that developed as a child, and how that uh, uh, took you into education, and and where you saw that all come together in your life. Sure. Well, I was born in in the um, in the city of Chicago. When I was about four years old, we moved out to the Burbs, where my mother was born, and my my folks owned a a toy store while I was growing up, and it was more than a toy store. You know, my grandkids think it was pretty neat being raised in a toy store. But it was across the street from the train station on a commuter train to, to downtown Chicago. And we were open at 5.30 in the morning because we sold magazines and newspapers and uh, tobacco and, and cigarettes and, and, and such. And we were open from 5.30 in the morning till 6.30 at night, five days or six days a week, and then from 5.30 till noon on Sundays, every single day of the year. So it, it was a lot of work, but it was, uh, it was, it was a good experience. Is is that really what took you into this world? Is is there something in particular that you saw in the store that that brought your imagination into into that that world that we see today in Disney? Well, I enjoyed business, and I enjoyed you know learning about business from my from my folks, and you know I I, I went to school and I studied economics and, and mathematics, but my. Uh, my interest in, in economics was more in the microeconomics, how businesses ran and, and what were, was the, the economic principles behind the businesses. And after graduating from college, I uh, started my, my professional career as a statistical and, and actuarial science person with Kemper Insurance. 
but after a couple of years of of doing that, I mean, it was great experience. I learned that I missed the the people aspect that I that I learned so so much from from the uh, the store in in Bensonville where I was raised. And I had an opportunity with Kemper Insurance to join their internal consulting group, where I was trained in the uh, industrial engineering techniques using those those techniques in a uh, white collar environment. And after a couple of years in at uh, at Kemper doing that, I was recruited by a uh, it was a Big Eight consulting firm or a Big Eight accounting firm back then, Coopers and Librarian to uh, to start consulting. That's where I started my consulting career, and I've I've enjoyed that ever since. So that was about 1975 or 76. How have you seen the world change in that time? What did you grow up in? Bensonville, I'm sure, is fairly industrial. Is that the manufacturing? Yeah, it was an industrial, blue-collar, working-class neighborhood. Well, some of the obvious things that I've I've seen, you know, in, in, uh, you know, let's talk about education. You know, and when I was growing up in school, you know, we didn't have to make up our, our minds so early on what we were going to do. And I think it was the same way in sports. You know, I, I played football, and, and after football season was over, I wrestled to stay in shape for football was my major sport. But then in the spring, I played tennis. You know, these days, if, if a, an athlete has to choose one sport in high school to, to train all year round, I think it's the same thing in, in preparing for for your your life's occupation, you know, I have a granddaughter that's um, in second or third grade, and, and she's getting straight A's, and I think she got a B on one test, and she was mortified, thinking that she's not going to get into a great college. I mean, the pressures that we the, we were putting on the children these days so early, I, I I don't think is is healthy. Well, uh, back in those days, I don't know how it was here. I'm sure it was very much the same as England. But when I went through s- school, you still had apprenticeships. You still had the skills, the trades. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you could you could go into metalworking or woodworking or technical drawing or or any of these trades. Now you don't seem to have that today, do you? That's the the, the difference in our world is that that we went through a period there. And again, I don't can't talk for it here, but we went through a period in the 80s and 90s back in England where it was uh, expected that every child would go through academia, every child would go through university, and that was their right. And yet it seemed to dilute all those wonderful skills that we had. And of course, now we don't really have those skills anymore. Uh, do you see that, that that is the way that this has occurred over the years since the 50s and 60s? Yeah, I, I, I do believe that, that we were expecting too many kids to go to college that, that maybe shouldn't be going to college. There's nothing wrong with being you know, electrician or a plumber or a woodworker or such. How does it look today to you for the children? Uh, you are obviously now consulting, and, and I'm not trying to race ahead here, but you are obviously dealing with leaders of industry. Uh, you're dealing with them in so much that you want them to change their mindset about their employees, about the consumer, about people. Um, but, but how is it that you see it for the kids today? What opportunities do, do, you, do they have, and, and what is it in these people that you're talking to that inspires you to believe that there is a future for the children today who are pouring out of the universities at a great rate? Well, to, be, to begin with, I think that we, we need to look at our educational system, you know, under a microscope. Um, 
you know, we're, we're failing our, our kids, we're failing our teachers. I don't think we're preparing our kids for college. 33% of the incoming freshmen in, in public and private schools have to take some sort of remedial reading or mathematical skills as a freshman year in, in college. I've seen figures as high as 52% in the, uh, in the public universities. And I suppose that we shouldn't lay fault at their door necessarily. That perhaps they're in something that they really shouldn't be in. Perhaps they should be more skill-based or trade-based, and perhaps that's what they would love to do, is use their hands rather than using a pen, I suspect. Well, I think part of it's that. I think part of it is the, is the way we're, we're teaching our, our, our children. I mean, if you look at, at the, the, um, the environment of a, of a kindergarten class, and the children are learning from, from exploration and discovery. They're having fun. They're laughing. They're, they're, they're playing. They're, they're, they're learning. And you look at that, that same class five years or six years later in fifth grade, and these children are, are, are sitting in rows. They're being told what to learn, when to learn it, how to learn it. If they don't pass the test, you know, they, they, they fail. And I think we do the same things, you know, to, to our people in business. No, you know, we, we, hire, we hire them in and we, we tell them, you know, what to do, how to do it, you know, do it this way. And we're, we're telling them in, in so many words, we didn't pay you to think, we just pay you to do X, Y, Z. Well, and I don't want to sound terribly generalized here, but would you uh, agree that we are in somewhat of a culture of hire and fire and quick turnaround in business? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the, the short-term mentality that we have instilled in, in our, our business people is, is just um, criminal. I mean, it's, you know, a dozen years ago, the average tenure of a CEO on, in the Fortune 500 was about 10 years. Today it is less than five years. And Wall Street expects that CEO to have a new strategy in place in the first 100 days on the job. So instead of investing in the future, they're manipulating their, their cost and price information. They're eliminating jobs and training, ignoring research and development and, and new markets, and compromising quality all for the next quarter's stock price. So this, so this is really uh, charting here a longevity problem that we have in, in every way of life. I mean, I, I can look back at my father who was demobbed from the British Army in 1956, went into the Prudential Assurance Company and stayed there for 40 years. Uh-huh. That, that doesn't happen anymore as much as it's, it appears that uh, in big industry, uh, high executives don't stay around uh, f- for a terribly long time to, to see through long-term projects long-term goals That's correct. so so really we're nailing down a, an immense problem here across the board yeah i know that you attended the university of southern indiana uh, what was that like for you bill did you enjoy the academia did you enjoy that environment when you were uh, when you were working there when you were launching their business consulting initiative uh y- yes i did they were one of the first universities that um that we're, we're sponsoring a, uh, a center for, for total quality management. And, you know, back in the, the early, early 80s, um, two things really happened in, in my career that really changed my, my view towards, towards business. You know, number one, many of our, our consulting um, jobs were, were benchmarking the best of the best. And Disney would come up as the best of the best, not only in customer service, but in areas of training and turnover, even production. 
you know, the Disney organization has the fifth largest laundry in the world. It's the largest in the United States. It's a production facility. And the time we did our research, their turnover there was, was less than 5%. And about that same time, too, um, when I was with, with Ernst and, and Young, they were uh, Ernst and Winnie back when I was with them, they, we um, sponsored the Deming Institute. And and as, as your listeners probably know, you know, Dr. Deming was, was the gentleman that went over to Japan after World War II and really trained the Japanese in, in how to, to uh, redevelop their manufacturing facilities and, and change the image of, of something when, you know, we were kids, you know, something made in Japan was something that was going to break in, in uh, you know, a, a day or two. And he really changed that, that, that quality image of, of something made in Japan as a, as a quality product. And we had an opportunity to, to work with, with Dr. Deming, learn from Dr. Deming, and it was, was a tremendous experience. And what I, what I came to, to learn from those two experiences was that the, the, the real change that needs to take place in, in any business is, is not the re-engineering and the, the industrial engineering techniques and the statistical process controls, but it's really the management culture. It's, it's the management culture that makes places like Pixar and Disney and, and Google and Nike and, and many other great organizations um, really tick. But, uh, and, and that's fine, and I would wholeheartedly agree. But to what extent and how do you achieve that? If you have a world now where um, there's no doubt about it that we are going through a huge change in this country and globally. We are seeing a, a lot of damage to our manufacturing and industry. We are definitely seeing the need to be innovative. And in itself, we need to discuss and define exactly what that means because it's not necessarily meaning in, innovative using technology. But what is it in, in the leaders' minds, in, in these people at the top of these uh, uh, probably uh, 300 industries now uh, in the world that, that need to look at their people, need to look at the consumers, need to be more transparent, need to look at themselves. How, how does that work? How, how do you create the methodology to change their mindset? Well, I think you need to, to, to totally change the culture. I think that the the culture of leadership starting from from probably the, 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 the worker's first promotion to supervisor all the way through to being you know, chairman of the board, they get to a po- point where they think that they are smarter than the rest of the workers, that they've reached this point because they're the best and that their way is, is the best way of doing things. And I think they need to, you know, you look at, at organizations like Pixar and, and Disney and, and some of the other organizations that we've studied, and the, the leader's job is, is to create an environment where, where people can be creative, where, where individuals know their responsibilities and their long-term goals, and creates an environment of mutual respect and trust. Now, does that involve creating a company, as they did in many instances uh, back in Europe, where th- there's employee ownership? Is that possibly a way where you could have the employees buy into the management and the product and the service uh, and the technology uh, as much as you could have the management buy into the employees and and create that trust? Oh, that, that's that's definitely a, a way. But it 
you still need that trust from the leadership, even if the employees own it. I mean, you still need that that trust and that collaboration, working together, and, and where everyone's ideas are, are so important. Um, that that type of, of culture, you know, really is what really breeds you know innovation. So, can you just define innovation for me? And I'm probably being terribly boring here, but <laughs> um, you know, I think a lot of people say, "Well, innovation." And there are critics, and there are cynics, and think tanks who would say, "Well, innovation in the past has been technology. Technology is um, uh, short-lived because it uh, creates uh, 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 transitional uh, jobs that eventually go abroad." Um, and all of these different uh, 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 scope of conversations come up. But innovation, innovation in terms of your stating is culture, is mindset, it's not necessarily coming up with a new widget or a new software. It's, it's innovation in terms of the mindset, the psychology of the individual. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's the, in, in the terms of making new, it's you know it's creating creating something new or, or reworking the old in a in a new way and that's what you know creativity and innovation is all about innovation is the process of, of creating either either a new experience a new product or or reworking an old product now perhaps could could we maybe equate that to the issues of sustainability at the moment the the very uh, um, famous waving of this green card by many of the bigger industries uh, who are uh, investing into clean technology into the uh, uh, eradication of fossil fuels and their business etc cetera, etc cetera. could could we look at those as models here are are they attempting to do the same thing well, I don't know if they they are if if they're if they're doing it for the sake of 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 creating something new and exciting, or are they doing it for the um, the the social data boys they're going to get from from the marketplace. Before we move into and and explore Pixar and Disney and that those business models. In this changing world that we clearly have where I see you uh, take these business models, uh, their huge successes into these, into these boardrooms, into these uh, leaders' minds, do you think that given the change in industry, given the change in manufacturing, uh, given the, the generally uh, depressed economic climate that we have, that there will be attrition in business, uh, particularly in the ma- major industries? Will there be attrition because they are trying to change things possibly too rapidly? You could look at Toyota if you want to uh, cite that as an example. Uh, do you think that along the way here as we change severely and, and very quickly that, that industries will disappear? Well, I think we, I think we have to change quickly and and innovatively and I think and Toyota is, is a prime example um, you know Toyota built their 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 company I, I studied Toyota you know back you know when I was was studying with dr. Deming I mean they were were the, the the gold class in quality and they lost sight of that and John Lasseter the the, the creative one of the creative geniuses at, at Pixar He's got a mantra. He says, quality is your best business plan. And I think Toyota lost sight of that. I mean, they knew the problems that they were having 
with the accelerator and just ignored it. Uh, you're talking about in terms of quality of product here now. Yes. Now, are you talking about in terms of the methodology behind that, in the people who'll build them, in the leaders in those industries, uh, even in the unions, if there are unions in these industries? Does Is it all-encompassing in all of these factors? I don't, I don't think you can separate the two. I, I think the two go hand-in-hand. You can't have quality leadership and produce a shoddy product or expect to produce a, a, a continually produce a, a really great product with with a command and control leadership. So in other words, uh, before we move into this, this next uh, um, uh, discussion with Pixar and Disney, um, we really have to, in effect, find a way to polish the leaders, give them support, uh, provide them with a way of becoming more transparent and i would throw out perhaps do they now really need to look at uh viability uh versus profitability is that something that 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 has to be looked at here now in order to reinvest not perhaps in r&d but reinvest in the company in terms of bringing in uh individuals like yourself to change the way that they look at things yeah i really i really think that's important you know that you know, getting back to that that short term mentality, you know, it's I don't want to say it's easy, but it's it's a lot easier to 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 say, okay, we can make these these quick and easy fixes in the short term, because we're not going to be around here in the long term to 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 worry about these, as opposed to somebody like Walt Disney that said, hey, we're going to make the best possible product we can make right now, even if it loses money in the short term. You know, many of Walt Disney's. Um, animated feature films did not make money the first time they were released. But he realized that every seven years he could re-release a film, you know, like Peter Pan or, or Pinocchio, and he had a, a brand new crop of, of seven-year-olds that were ready to see that for the first time. Now, is that where the, the major asset is in that business? Uh, it, it's, it's in films, uh, animation, uh, that you are saying in in Disney's case is actually very timeless. Oh yeah. So I mean, it's, it's can, can you think? Can you think of any any film that's been watched as much as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? I mean, and perhaps that's their great secret. Yeah. Um, that the the material is so timeless that it it will uh, fulfill the needs of many generations. Exactly. Now, do they see? that clearly and they are they still working towards that because perhaps in our very uh, changing uh, world this severe world that we have because I know that when you consult, you consult to many different industries. You're not just within one sector, one SEO sector. You're, 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 you're going everywhere you can in utilizing the Disney model and utilizing the Pixar model. That's correct. Um, but the, is not the problem with technology is that we are constantly in R&D um, in major industries, constantly trying to catch up with each other and always changing the product. Uh, now, is that something that you cite as perhaps a paradigm that needs to change as witnessed by the way that Disney works? Well, one of the things that, that we recommend with, with organizations too is you just don't change the product for product change sake. You look at ways of, of solving problems and fulfilling your customers' dreams. I mean, you know, look back, you know, 10, 20 years ago, and the problem with the, the portable uh, CD player that, you know, Sony developed, you know, back when they were cassette players, 
you know, we referred to a Walkman as, you know, as a, a portable music device. But the problem with the CD players was we had to carry around, a, you know, a whole stack of these rather fragile CDs and, and, and put them in, you know, one album at a time. You know, if, if you just looked at, at improving the CD player, you know, you didn't get anywhere. You know, then comes Apple, and we have an iPod that where we could put our whole music library in, you know, and carry it around with us. But is there any, and I'm going completely in a different direction here very briefly, but is there any downside to that, Bill? I mean, do we not have kids now, particularly in Europe, who don't want to buy a track because it's a tangible product in my day you would buy a single and you would proudly put it on the your sure. your shelf in your bedroom with all of the other singles these days it's it's uh it it, it doesn't mean anything anymore to kids it, right, we it, go it, to the record shop and listen to them in the in the booths and everything i you know yeah i think we're dating ourselves david <laughs> uh we probably are and make it, but but nevertheless it's important it's important to show that not all the technology and not everything that the internet provides is de- is necessarily beneficial. No, that's that's true. But I mean, it's an example of solving a problem, not just redefining a product. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Now, going on here, uh, you decided, obviously, uh, many years ago, to use Pixar and Disney as your standard, uh, as uh, the landmark, as the uh, flagship in consulting for any industry out there. Can you tell me why did you decide to do that? Did you look at industries? Did you look at business models and decide early on which you wanted to cite in in moving forward? Well, I I grew up on... on Walt Disney's product, you know, in the 50s, you know, I watched Disneyland being built, you know, the wonderful world of Disney, Walt Disney would feature one of the attractions that he was building at at this wonderful park, and it wasn't until 1974 with my three-year-old son that I actually visited Disneyland for the first time, and as an industrial engineer, I was was really uh, enamored with with not only the, the, the creativity and imagination and the, the entertainment value, but, but the in, industrial engineering aspects, the process ex, aspects, how we move people and, and how they, they processed um, people and information and, and, and things through the, the, uh, uh, the park. And then in, in the early 80s, as I mentioned to you before, you know, we started benchmarking the best of the best practices, and Disney would come up as one of the best. And we took many, many clients to view Disney behind the scenes and interviewed hundreds, probably thousands of, of Disney employees, or, or their terminology is cast members, um, you know, learning, you know, how they, how they developed this culture. And we learned that... that Walt Disney was once asked what the secret to his success was, and he said he didn't know how much of a secret it was, but before he would start any new project, he would think of four things. He would dream of ways of doing business and things that have never been done before. He would test those dreams against his personal values and the beliefs and values of his organization. He would dare to take the risk to make those dreams come true. And lastly, he would put plans together so those dreams do become a reality. Dream, believe, dare, do are the, are the four principles that 
has has contributed to Disney's success for over 80 years. They're the four principles that, that all of our books are based upon, and they're the four principles that we've helped scores of clients improve their their customer service, their innovation, their their productivity, their market share. Do you think that possibly Disney could actually cite an example that is rarely used or or even used at all in industry where somebody has actually managed to foresee what the consumer needs what excites them how they in and in the case of disney how it actually immerses the consumer into a different world and i suppose it's terribly difficult in many industries you you, you cannot do that but disney appears to have made that very successful Yes, yes, they have, and you know we we tell our clients that, that you need to to look at, at your business as if you were a, a director of, of a play or, or a movie, and you know the, the very first thing you need to look at, you know, what is the story, and what's the story you're trying to tell? You know, what what, what are your dreams, and what's your vision? What, what are the dreams of your customers? How do you engage that that customer in, into your product? You know, Disneyland or Disney World is not a, a theme park or a, a resort community. I mean, it's a larger-than-life experience. I mean, it, it's it's an emotional engagement whether you're you're eight or eighty. Is it representing in a way an escape, as the movies represent, as a film uh, such as Avatar represents for people? Oh, I I, I think it it truly does. It truly does, and and, and that's the way that. Um, you know that that's one of the, one of their successes. Uh, clearly, uh, Disney was very strategized. He he had a formula, uh, particularly uh, with the dream, believe, dare, do that you quoted. But do you think, in some ways, that there's always an element of luck in finding that in whatever business that you're in? Oh, I I, I think there is. I think it's a, a matter of. of being at the right time at the at the right place at in in some instances it's a matter of of making the right turn you know and and pushing back when you should push back and maybe not pushing back when you when you don't need to and now in saying that when you deal with leaders in business uh, leaders in business uh, people sitting around an executive board uh, perhaps even people in middle management what is it that you need to tell them in uh, achieving positive results in inspiring them to restore their faith in themselves because goodness only knows i could be completely wrong but it seems to me that we have a terrible level of confidence in this country at the moment what is it that in your work uh, inspires them to the core values that they need to restore their faith in everything they do in every part of life well the the, the first thing is is to a reaffirmation of their dream you know if they, if they don't have that dream really defined in, in such a way that that it is uh, we, we suggest telling it in a story fashion that they could they could tell to all employees so that that any employee you know could tell the story of the of the organization whether they're in you know a member of the boardroom or a member of the storeroom they they know the story of the organization 
And I think that helps, you know, rally everyone around being first and foremost a storyteller. And then secondly, you know, what are the, what are the values that, that guide your organization? What are the four or five, you know, core values that, that are really important to your organization? And I, I just love the quote from, from Roy Disney, Walt's brother. He said, when values are clear, decisions are easy. And doesn't that really say it all? I mean, when you're when you're trying to make decisions, and you know, is it is it in tune with your values? Absolutely, uh, it, it is a great statement. And everything that you said, of course, uh, is uh, making everybody equally accountable, uh, whether they're on the shop floor uh, cleaning or around the uh, the executive uh, boardroom table. But, exactly. But in a way, in a way, the catalyst to ensure that that all works right down through those layers has to be the man at the top. Oh, yeah. Most now, definitely. So when you, when you are consulting in that company, what is it now, having said all of these things about the storytelling, about understanding and being able to talk about your company, about being proud to work at your company, about being proud to get up in the morning to be able to go to work to create a best, the, the best product that you can, what is it that you have to say to the leader now? Uh, and we know by evidence that, that when you're in a leader role, you are very isolated. Uh, there are leaders and followers in life, and certainly for leaders, it, it's not an easy job. Uh, you, you are isolated and sometimes overprotected by layers of management. But what is it that you have to do that is so profound to actually open his or her eyes? Well, from, from that, you know, once, once people know the, the general direction, you need to communicate that all the way through the organization. And then you need to, to, to trust, trust the worker, whether that be a manager, supervisor, or frontline employee, trust the worker to, to use their common sense in, in how to be innovative and creative and, and do their job the best that, that they know how. And what we found is when people know that they're being trusted and how they can do their job and, and being allowed to try things and, and learn from, from trying things, and not be afraid of, of possibly making a, a mistake here, here and there, that they rise to levels that even surprise themselves. Out of interest, uh, are these all models, ideas, visions that uh, Dr. Deming took with him to Japan in the post-war years? Many of them are. I mean, consistency of purpose, driving out fear, um, training everyone, making training available for everyone. Uh, you know, are all principles that Dr. Deming used to to really turn the Japanese uh, manufacturing culture around. Now, what was it that uh, took you into writing the book, the Disney Way uh, Field Book? Uh, what point did you reach at that stage in your experiences and uh, and the way that you had learnt about the company from top to bottom that led you to write this? Well, the Disney Way came out in um, in two thousand and eight. And it was highly successful, and, and we, were, we were pleased with that. And our, our publisher, McGraw-Hill, came to us and said, gee, you know, you guys are, are in consulting. We know about you. You must have a lot of things that you do in, in the consulting world that would help people implement these dream, believe, dare, do principles in their organization. And we said, yes, we, we did. And we, we put together really 42, I believe it is, um, different 
exercises, if you will, of that demonstrate those one of those four principles, and they can be used with, with teams or organizations to help train people to be um, more collaborative or to be more uh, concerned about about knowing what the customer really needs and things like like that. When we talk about the customer, we're, we're, again, we're talking about the consumer. Um, and the consumer, uh, they're people. Uh, very often they're employees themselves. Um, and I did in the notes uh, that I had sent you uh, talk about this uh, statement of, do you agree that industry is people and people are industry? Um, is that as much the case today as it always was? Um, and And in achieving all these results... Is it absolutely the prime goal of the man at the top to make sure that the employees, the consumers, the suppliers, everybody is in line, everybody's in tune, and everybody must understand that they are serving each other? Oh, most definitely. And I think today, too, it's A, because it's such a global economy, B, because you know, great examples like Disney. I mean, it's almost become a rite of pass- passage, you know, in today's, you know, middle class that a 10 or 12 year old child, you know, you take them to Disneyland or Disney World. Um, so, you know, the, the Disney model of customer service becomes a model that, that people are expecting, you know, at your local restaurant or your, you know, your local uh, hardware store. What is it that Disney is looking forward to now in the future? Do they see changing the model in any way? Uh, obviously, well, they're, they're seeing the world change as much as the rest of us. I mean, uh, there are so many people out of work now, so many concerns about long-term employment, so many people that used to be a consumer, used to be able to visit uh, Disneyland. Um, is Disney being innovative in that way into looking at other things that maybe could satisfy those concerns? I, I, I think they are. I think they're looking at um, packaging deals to, to get people on the property, packaging deals where they they have an all-inclusive meals included and park tickets and everything so that you say, okay, if I save up X thousand dollars, I can go there for you know a week with my family and with the exception of you know a, a few... Uh, Souvenirs. That's going to be the price of the of the of the trip. Now, is uh, is this leaning towards the necessity and obvious world that we have in front of us? That is going to be uh, really all about m- more frugality than it is uh, a world that we've seen in the last twenty, thirty, or forty years. Well, I don't know if that's uh, if that's going to be the case, but I mean, I'm, certainly, you know, everyone's. That I know is you know tightening their budget, whether they're you know very wealthy or just you know living paycheck to paycheck. They're all you know looking at ways to cut back. Yeah, and I, I only ask that question in in context to the ways that Disney can make it easier for people to to actually um, to actually get there and to enjoy it. Right. You you go on to your next book, uh, Pixar: Innovate the Pixar Way. Now, what are the what are the models? Uh, what are the paradigms there that uh, are close to or, or reflective sure. of Disney? Well, Pixar came onto our radar screen in, in nineteen ninety five when uh, you know Toy Story came out, and we we saw this this rather um, obscure boutique 
studio in Northern California that at first just appeared to be a subcontractor to Disney, literally take over Disney Animation in the in the late 90s and early 2000s. And then it was purchased by Disney in 2006 for $7.4 billion. And as we started to, uh, to look and see, you know, what... What made this this organization so successful? You know, they they uh, they seem more like like Disney than Disney did in in, in, a, in a lot of uh, ways. As we started looking for the um, for you know what was what was the the true source of their creativity? We thought we were like the the, um, the Claude Rains character in Casablanca, you know, round up the usual suspects. And we started looking at leadership and culture and and training and things, you know, all the things that made sense, you know, for their organizations. And yes, you know, when we looked at each one of these, they, they did contribute to to Pixar's success. But what was the the the, the true essence, the, the source, the big bang of their creativity? And suddenly it dawned on us that Toy Story really did hold the answer. And that was looking at the eye at the world through the eyes of a child. And this is how, how Pixar really catches lightning in a bottle. That, that is amazing, though, isn't it? Sorry to interrupt, yeah, but is, no, that, okay. is that not amazing? That it's so essential, and this is why I start my programs off gently talking to people about their childhood. Is it, is it not essential to look at life in so many ways through a child's eye? Because oh, you have the simplicity, you have the purity. Um, and that's often, is it not, something that we need to return back to as adults? Oh, we do. I mean, I mean, you know, when we were children, we thought we could do anything. You know, nothing was was beyond our our capabilities. But then, you know, parents, teachers, bosses, you know, they 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 beat the child out of us, and suddenly, you know, those those dreams and dreamers, you know, were were replaced with that short term mentality that I said is such a virus in today's. I, I suppose, again, do, does that not score points for Disney because essentially what they're allowing us to do as old fogies is relive our childhood, never let go of our childhood, always feel that we're children at heart, yeah. uh, to be able to uh, to be able to enjoy it in every single way, in a timeless way, that we so that we, I suppose, don't have to ever think that we've outlived it. That's that's true, and when we found that you know that Walt's secret was alive and well at at Pixar, you know, dream like a child, believe in your playmates, dare to jump in the water and make waves, and and do unleash that childlike potential. You know, were the four principles that we've uh, we structured the innovate the Pixar way around. When it comes to the uh, Pixar publication, uh, and I hope that I'm accurate in this, can you talk to this statement, innovation does not come from a miraculous revelation on the road to Damascus. It comes from habitual Pixar-style collaboration. Collaboration, could you define that for me in Pixar's business model? Sure. The, uh, Randy Nelson, their, um, their, the, the dean of Pixar University, describes a collaboration is finding the most articulate way to get a high-fidelity notion across a broad range of people so they all can pull on the right lever. I mean, I just, I, I just love that, that definition, you know, a high-fidelity notion. I mean, that's, you know, the, the collaboration at Pixar means that, that everyone on a team, you know, different personalities, different skill levels, but, but they're, they're, they're all 
trying to pull on the right lever, and they all have an ownership in the process. And, and Pixar really believes that, that everyone in the organization has unlimited potential. And Ed Catmull, their, their president and co-founder, you know, said that, that you know, people think, oh, well, we had this, 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 this great idea for cars or for Toy Story or whatever, you know, that that, that was the, uh, the, 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 the big innovative idea. He said there are tens of thousands of, of innovative ideas in each one of their 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 uh, animated feature films and it comes from everyone on the on the project so we're realizing now and this is wonderful as we progress through this program that being innovative is not just a tangible product that we're talking about we're talking about it in the mindset we're talking about in the way we think and breathe and work with each other collaborate with each other Um, and i think that's a wonderful notion everybody pulling on that lever um, so really, we're, we're getting down to the, the nuts and bolts of what being innovative these days is all about. Correct. Going on um, to exploring those dimensions created by Pixar, um, what is it that they utilize to be able to pull in their consumer, pull in their audience? Is there anything different? different in the way that they achieve this from Disney, or do they work on the same premise? Well, two things that they, um, that, that they do. N- number one, I think it's, it's important to, to realize that they really did model their, their, their studio around Walt's original principles that I think in the late 90s and early 2000s and, and in the uh, revised edition of the Disney way, we, we get into some of the reasons why Michael Eisner really lost, really lost focus on what was important at, at Disney and was was forced out. But but Ed Catmull and, and Alvy Ray Smith, the two co founders of, of Pixar and John Lasseter, they all admired Walt Disney and, and even modeled their, their organization around his his um, his his principles. And it's and it's it's even more like Disney in that they use they use things like like brain trust. You know the the it, at some of the later years in Disney, they lost focus of of a team owning the the, the project. They were more in the business mode, and they were trying to get things out. And hence, in the late '90s and early 2000s, we had a lot of these formulaic productions that came out of Disney. You know, Lion King two and 102 Dalmatians, and I mean, the list goes on and on. Of, 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 a whole list of unimaginative um, animated feature films that made money, but they didn't. They weren't very well done, and they're they're forgettable. But at Pixar, you know, the the whole team owns owns the project, and and one of the tools that they use is something called a brain trust. And a brain trust is if the team is having a problem, they can gather up the other directors and and Ed Catmull and John Lasseter and. And present the the, the film in, in whatever stage it's 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 in, and then the uh, the brain trust comments on the film for about two hours and makes suggestions. But but the key point here is that there are no mandatory notes, there are no directives. You need to change this and this and this. It's all up to the to the team and the director of that of that film to take what he wants from that from that group and and 
incorporated into the film. Is there a notion behind that uh, that almost says that nobody's left behind? Yeah, exactly, and that and that you know, their one of their models in their uh, uh, in their educational facility, which they call Pixar U, and John Laster named it that because he liked the initials PU, and it's um, alienus non detutius, which means alone no longer. And that really capsulizes their this collaborative effort, and like you say, no one left behind. That there's always help, there's always a safety net, and there's always the support to to succeed. Is that something they actually utilize in their marketing materials or their publicity, or or that you utilize when you're talking about them? Oh, I utilize it, but I don't know how much they do. <laughs> Summing up your career, you obviously made a very wise choice early on to uh, focus on these two great players in the marketplace. Um, Looking back, uh, are you comfortable with those industries that you have consulted with? Uh, Were you always comfortable that you uh, approached industries and looked at their mechanism, looked at their mindsets and their methodology, and in every case, your use of Disney and Pixar was the was the right thing to do, or were there any examples that you could cite that possibly it it, it just was not appropriate to? No, I, you know I don't I don't think so, David. Um, you know we've we you know people say well how can you you know you have fun and and things, but gee we're in the healthcare business. You know people don't want to be here. They're they're suffering. There may be death involved, but. You know, you still want to have the, the uh, a collaborative environment. You still want to have an environment where people are enjoying what they're doing, even if it means that I have to I have to to give a consultation and 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 sympathy to to someone who's you know a family whose whose loved one is terminally ill. Um, you, you still need to have that that empathy and that trust and that respect in in an environment like that so i think i think these these principles work in 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 any business environment whether you're manufacturing making animated feature films or selling hot dogs now in your personal opinion and uh this is a very generalized question, but uh, from from your point of view, where you are as a consultant, uh, deeply immersed in in these businesses and and uh, making a wonderful career on the uh, the speaker circuit, how do you see the the future of our economy right now? Do, do you are you proactive and positive uh, about the way that we are going? Do you think that eventually we are going to succeed in this country? Um, just simply because we've got the great icons like the Disneys and the Pixars behind us. Well, I think we have the the, the history of, of the Disneys, the, the the Pixars, the you know some of the other companies that we've we've studied and looked at. You know, Men's Warehouse, Nikes, and 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 such. That um, you know, I, I think are, are great models for us to to look and say, hey, you know, w- we need to be. Innovative. We need to take care of our customers. We need to continually look at ways of, of making that experience or our product engaging and, and and part of an emotional experience with our with our customers. And I think uh, you know your businesses will rally. I think you know we may be at a low point in 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 this this deep recession that we're in, but I think we're going to see uh, 
see some good times ahead. When you're working with these leaders, uh, you're working with these people in the boardrooms as much as you are uh, with the people on the on the ground floor. Is much of your mandate, your mission, and the delivery of your message as much about the principles that we've talked about today as it is about simple wisdom and common sense and empathy that is required in all of these individuals in all of us? Oh, you know, most definitely. You know, I, you know, I, I, I quote. Um, Isidore Sharp from the Four Seasons Hotels, which I've, I've spent time with, and, and just a delightful man, and a, and a, and a great, you know, great hotel chain by, you know, most accounts, the the greatest five star hotel in, in the country. And he said, you know, values are only words on paper. He said the values only make sense if if they're behaved. He said, but the behaviors are only important and make sense if they're believed by the individual. You need to internalize these values. You know, great customer service, you know, doesn't come from a policy manual and a bunch of rules. You know, it comes from your heart. What an amazing way to put that. And I guess my last uh, question to you, Bill, would be, what what are your favorite memories from when you were young? Um, And what is it that you personally can relive uh, and wish everybody to relive uh, by visiting Disney, visiting Pixar, uh, their, their, their work. W- what is it that you would like us all to do uh, in, in keeping our, our childhood spirit? Well, I think my, my favorite memory is, is growing up in a, in a retail environment and learning from my, my parents that you need to, to, to truly engage your customer and, and, and truly engage them, and they're the most important person in front of you, and they didn't care if that person was, was Mr. Mena, who worked for the, the, the local uh, sewer contractor and worked in the ditches, or if it was uh, uh, Mr. Franzen, who was president of the bank. I mean, both of those people were just as important in my, in my parents' eyes, and, and that's something that, that I remember quite Quite fondly, and a lesson that you know all my education has um, hasn't taught me any anything better than than to treat every individual with with respect and dignity, no matter where they are in the in the hierarchy of your business or of society. What would you your final message be for the kids of today, Bill? Uh, do you think that they've got every right to believe that we and them uh, and uh, the social structure as a whole will win through this and uh, win through the current recession, win through the, the problems we have to create a good world for them? I, I think so. And my, my message to the, uh, to the kids, you know, leaving the universities today and things is, you know, to, to find some place where, where you can have fun, where you, where you can enjoy what you're doing. You know, John Laster, you know, he said, the, you know, the amount of fun the teams have in making a movie comes out and how much fun it is to watch. And then, secondly, find something where you think you're really making a difference. And I, I turned to a quote from, from Ed Catmull from Innovate the Pixar Way, and he said, uh, you know, he really wants to make movies that touch people and, and make them better. He said, otherwise, what are we doing here? Bill Capity, it's been a great pleasure today um, sharing this time with you on the program. I do thank you so much, and I, I do hope that we uh, have that privilege of talking to you again sometime. Well, thank you, David.
And to our listeners today, I hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as I have. You can obtain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, I will say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.